0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word,
1: I would like to say this about being a witness. Some people think that witnessing is something you go and do, when in reality, being a witness is really more of what we are. Our life is to be a witness. Now, in being a witness there'll be things that you do there'll be times when you get to share times when you get to to talk and do things but as believers filled with the holy spirit baptized in the power of god's spirit we are to be witnesses in the world in which we live do we reflect the stress of the world in our actions do others see us
0: at peace and trusting in the lord in these tumultuous times as followers of jesus our lives are a witness of god's mercy with god's help we're able to live lives that honor him. Pastor Bill stirs us up today to live our lives in a way that shows the world how precious God's mercy is. He stresses the importance of living in such a way that shows others the grace God's given us. Let us be a witness for God and his faithfulness. Now here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation chapter 11 as he begins his message, Power to Witness.
1: We're in the middle of the Book of Revelation, and the book goes in three parts. There's a past, a present, and a future. The past is in Revelation chapter one, dealing with the just the resurrected, glorified Christ, which is it's already taken place. The present covers chapters two and three, church history, the church age, is where we're living right now, and everything from chapter four on is future. Uh, We've studied these already. You can go back and follow along. But in chapters four and five, after the church is raptured, we're caught up to be with the Lord. The church is in heaven with the Lord. Chapter six through 19 is a period called the Great Tribulation. It's a seven year period where God is pouring out his wrath on a world that has rejected him. That is the portion of Revelation that we're in the midst of right now. Something interesting is that from, you know, the first part of Revelation, we hear the word church over and over and over again from chapters six through 19. As we look at this period of, of tribulation, God's wrath, we don't have any mention of the church because we're not here. We're with the Lord. This is God dealing with the earth. Something we've seen. Thus far, as even in the tribulation period, God is still winning people to himself. And we something that's revealed to you and me about Christ is even while judgment is going forth, even while wrath is being poured out, God still has a heart to save, to redeem, uh, to draw to himself. And we'll even see that in this chapter. So pick up with me in chapter 11, verse one. John is speaking here. He's the one receiving the revelation. It says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. And so um, John is there. This angel gives him a, a measuring rod and says to start to measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Now, something that's going to transpire during the tribulation period. And it's interesting because. There are people in Israel that are trying to do it right now. They're going to rebuild a temple. most believe it's the the third temple, which is really a a remodeling and 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 an extension on the the previous temple. But um, that it's going to be rebuilt. We believe that the Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, is going to enable that to flourish. But there's a, a thing right now that exists. You can look it up on the Internet, the Temple Institute, that there are Jews in Israel that are, they believe strongly because they haven't received Christ as Messiah, that they need to rebuild the temple and they need to get back to offering sacrifices. And we know that that's hap- that they wanted, that they're collecting implements. They're actually training priests to do it. And I think it's interesting. I wonder in, in this age of animal rights activists. Uh, I wonder how they're going to ever pull it off where they can start sacrificing animals. They're going to have quite a fight on their hands. But the fact is that there are people right now that want it very badly. You can go on their website. It updates weekly. I mean, they are believing this. The sad part is the reason they want this temple so badly is because they haven't received Jesus, who is the sacrifice for our sins once and for all. And so, As we're in the end times, church has been raptured on earth. The Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, he's going to give them what they want. They're going to have their temple. They're going to love this man. There's going to be peace in the Middle East for the first time ever. And we know at the three and a half year mark that the Antichrist is going to step in and declare that he is to be worshiped. And it's what we call the abomination of desolation. So the second three and a half years is where the Jews are really going to begin becoming to Christ in, in the droves. And so my point is, as John is, is in the end, he's in this latter season and there's, he says, I want you to measure the temple, measure the altar, the temple of God and, and those who worship there. We believe that there will be a temple there. Verse two says, but leave out the court, which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And so the court of the Gentiles, the outside portion has been left for the Gentiles. It says, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So the end of verse two says the, the, that they're going to be treading this, the holy city, Jerusalem. they going to be tread underfoot for 42 months. If you do the math, 42 months is equals 1260 days, which is. Three and a half years. And so there's going to be a three and a half year period where We believe that exactly what it says here, the the trampling by the Gentiles is going to take place, the the last half, where they're going to be just decimating and mistreating and abusing God's people during this time. And this is when the Antichrist is going to pour out his wrath on God's people, where Satan really goes after God's people, the, the Jews, in that sense. Let me say this, because it has some credence to us, right? Some people have a problem with this, that God chose the Jews and... They're his own special people. And people say, well, doesn't seem right that God would have a people that he chose. Here's what should minister to you about this. God chose the Jews. He said, this is my special people. I've chosen them. And historically, they have not chosen him back. Over and over again, God displays his love to them. He goes after them. He rescues them. He saves them, and they rebel against him. They worship other gods. They, they, do the, they do the wrong thing over and over again. Sometimes they come back tattered and beaten. They ask God to receive them, and he always takes them back. He always receives them back. He always is willing to forgive. And even here at the end of time, the Jews as a nation, as a people, have rejected Christ. He's still leaving hope and opportunity for them. For anybody that's listening, if you're a Christian, and I know if you're a Christian, you, you mess up sometimes. You do stuff you're not supposed to, you blow it, you fall short. If anything, looking at how God treats the Jews, it should minister to you and me of how faithful God is even when we're faithless. How God holds up his end of the bargain even when we fall short of holding up our end of the bargain. The fact that God is still going after them, ministers to me. So um, I hope for anybody that's home and and maybe the enemy has condemned you and beat you down, that you would get back up and begin to walk with the Lord again because he'll have you back. If he'll have them back, he'll have you back as well. Um, That has to do with who he is and his character and his nature. And so moving on, it says, So this latter portion, this 42 months, the second half of the seven year tribulation period, uh, the Jews are going to be having a tough time. Again, we'll see that more as we move into chapter 12, verse three. It says now, and I will give power, God speaking, God's going to give power to two witnesses and they will prophesy 1260 days Clothed in sackcloth, so we get introduced here to two witnesses. I titled the message today "Power to Witness." These are two witnesses at a critical juncture in history. It is after the church has been caught up to be with the Lord. That means there's no church on earth. So. Who lives in the church? Who lives in every Christian? The Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit lives in, in every one of us and empowers us to be witnesses. Well, When the witness of the church is gone, think of how corrupt and how wicked things will be. And so God raises up these two supernatural witnesses, these two men. We know they're men because all the, the words used to describe them are, are male. So these are two men. Now, it, Revelation doesn't tell us who they are. And as you could imagine, there are books and volumes of speculation as to who they are. And there's some good arguments. Um, I have my opinions of who they are. But I will say up front, we don't know. We don't know who they are. And if God wanted us to know emphatically, he would have just told us right here. We just know that there are two witnesses. Some think because of the power that these two are going to have that Elijah is possibly one of them because um, some of the miracles and some of the things done through the witnesses we saw done through Elijah's life. Some think Moses, because there was there was fighting over the bones of Moses. And so there must have been something God wanted to do with him later. And there was power God gave to Moses. Some think Enoch, because he was caught up to be with the Lord and he didn't die. Some think Uh, Elijah for the same reason. So suffice it to say, I I won't go on and on. I kind of think Moses and Elijah personally, but we don't know. We know that there's two witnesses here and that they're going to be empowered by God. So look again, it says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed. And sackcloth. So these two witnesses are going to be empowered. I want to just say this to us because God has also empowered us to be witnesses in a unique time that we live in. For us that are living right right now, this is a unique time in history. Every believer at every point in history was alive at a unique time in history. That's a fact. So I can look back to those that were alive during the time of Jesus and think that was a unique time. It would have been cool to be there when Jesus was on the earth and I could have, I could have touched him and hugged him or something. You know, I think afterward, under the, the early church persecution, that was a unique era to be alive. You A know, hundred years ago was a unique time. The time of Spurgeon was a unique time. Well, today is a unique time for us to be the church. And at every juncture, God has empowered his people to be witnesses. In the early church, as Jesus was exiting, getting ready to ascend back into heaven before he left the early believers, he told them in Acts chapter one, verse eight, that they weren't ready yet. They had been given assignments. They had been told to go in all the world. They had been taught by Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus. They had had little trials of going out, you know, two by two and giving power to, you know, cast out demons and heal the sick. And God said, yet you guys aren't ready yet. And in Acts chapter one, verse eight, They were told by Jesus to wait in Jerusalem because they needed power in order to go and fulfill the ministry and to accomplish what God had for them. And so Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says, and it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And it says, then you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So. They were encouraged that when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they will be witnesses. So I would like to say this about being a witness. Some people think that witnessing is something you go and do when in reality, being a witness is really more of what we are. Our life is to be a witness. Now, in being a witness, there'll be things that you do. There'll be times when you get to share, times when you get to to talk and do things. But as believers, Filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the power of God's Spirit, we are to be witnesses in the world in which we live in the same way that God's going to empower these two witnesses. And we're going to look at it. It's going to be supernatural. I just want to draw attention to the fact that there's power for you and me as well. We're not living during a tribulation period. We're not those witnesses. We're witnesses today, right? While in an era where, you know, what we're dealing with in our world right now, the coronavirus, um, people are afraid. People are, you know, I've, I get so many things in my inbox. I have people sending me theories of what's going on and where it came from and what do we do and all this. And as I'm taking all these things in. I'm watching kooky videos about, you know, all kind of different theories and stuff like that. And I'm like, Lord, what's, you know, in the midst of all this, I just I'm reminding people that it is wherever it came from and whatever it is, Jesus is on the throne. Wherever it came from and whatever it is, do you know Christ? Are you going to heaven when you die? That's the issue. Everybody's going to die of something unless you're raptured. Right. You're going to die of something, whether it's coronavirus, car crash, you know, the flu dog. You might get mauled by a bear. Who knows We're you're all going to die. Right. Are you prepared for that when it comes? That's a bigger issue. It's a bigger deal than than, than figuring out where and how and when. Where are you going when you die? Never mind that. What's going to happen to you when you die? Where are you going? Do you know him? Will he know you? Right. I saw a thing that said a phrase more fearful than you've tested positive for the coronavirus is this. I never knew you. And it was in red letters. Right. That that's a more fearful thing to stand before the king of kings and Jesus look at you and say, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's scarier. Then then going to the doctor and having them stick the thing down your nose and telling you that you you've tested positive. And so we live in that time uh, where God's like, look, I, I need witnesses now and I'm giving power. Everyone listening, everybody just taking this in. God will baptize you in the power of his spirit and he will empower you, not your own strength. He will empower you to be his witnesses. In a time like this. And so these two witnesses, they were empowered. It says they shall prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. So, this second half of the tribulation period, this three and a half years, these two witnesses are gonna be going for it. They're gonna be God's spokesman. They're gonna be witnessing. I want you to consider it, right? Consider a time when plagues have hit, people are mad at God. All this stuff is coming down. There's not a church to go to. There's not a lot of believers to, to encourage you and build you up. And God puts these two witnesses here. I'm sure that we're going to see that they get mistreated terribly, that the world is not fond of them. The people don't appreciate their message. And so God has to give them supernatural defense, you know, to stay alive long enough to fulfill their mission. Look at verse four. It says these are the two olive trees. And the two lampstands standing before the God of the Earth, and if you take the imagery of the the lampstands and the olive trees, this is what we we see it in Zechariah: the the olive trees where the the oil comes, which is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and the oil would come down and continually fill the lamp, so that the the light in the temple would stay the whole time. And so in Zechariah 4, he gave us the the thing he said that 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 the way we serve God, the way we the way we're to be, you know, doing the work we do for God, he said it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's going to be by the spirit of God, the spirit of the Lord. And God is the one supplying the power, supplying the strength. So these two, he said, these are the olive trees and my two lampstands standing before the God of the earth, verse 5. And if anyone wants to harm them, this is What God does to provide defenses for them during this period. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. So imagine these two witnesses are on the earth. People don't necessarily love what they're hearing from them. But if somebody wants to harm them, these guys have the power to breathe out fire that will destroy those that come against them. So these are fire-breathing witnesses and prophets of God. We, I don't believe that we have that power here and now. It's supernatural. It's something God does in this unique space in history through these two guys. But God keeps them alive. They're going to fulfill. They're going to serve for 1,260 days, and God says they're going to get all the days in. Here's what we could say about us. Here's the, the correlation to you and I. I believe that as believers that we are invincible until God is done with us. Right. If God's not done, if if you're serving God, if you're you got some ministry, some calling to do something for the Lord. I don't believe that your life can be zapped until God is done with you. Our lives are in his hands. And so we trust our lives. We entrust our lives into the hands of God. I look at the Apostle Paul and all the danger he put himself in, but he trusted his life with God. And there were times when he could have died, but he didn't die. There were times when they wanted to kill him and they couldn't kill him. There was a time when they either, I believe they stoned Paul to death and then God raised him back up like I'm not done yet. Paul got back up, dusted off and went back into the same town and finished preaching the message that he was preaching. And so I believe there's believers that we are invincible until God's done with us. Someone has said before the safest place to be is in the will of God in the center of the will of God. You could be in a dangerous scenario, but there's safety in the will of God. And that safety doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. Doesn't mean that we won't die Uh, over history. There are believers that have given their lives for the gospel. So there's no promise that that won't be the way, but I do believe that we don't go until God is done with us. These guys aren't going to go anywhere till they've completed their 1260 day mission witnessing throughout the end part of the, the tribulation period. So, Verse six, it says these have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days that are prophecy and they have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues. As often as they desire. And that's why some people look at Elijah, who had power over the rain. They look at Moses, who had God had empowered him to give the plagues. You know, I looked at in Luke when Jesus was transfigured, those are the two that appeared with him. And some of the reasons why those seem like valid candidates to me. But in either way, this is what God is going to be doing with these guys during this period. They're gonna have power to turn the rain off, to turn water to blood to send earthquakes. Whenever they feel like it, they're going to be given this power. Now look at verse seven. It says, when they finish their testimony, and I want you to note that you should highlight that or underline it. It's not until they finish. Once they're done, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. I said earlier that Our lives can't be taken until God is completed, till God is done. These guys, God said they were going to do this for twelve hundred sixty days when their time is done, when they've completed what they were given to do. Then the the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, we believe that's Satan himself, ascends out of the bottomless pit and he's going to make war against them, overcome them and kill them. I want to say this, because anybody that's in service to the Lord, that's being a witness For God the sharing the gospel or preaching the word or trying to lead people to Christ or take people to church or bring them closer to the Lord, there's a battle that wages. We're at war. There's an enemy that comes against us. The enemy of our souls comes against us. And so the same is true here. The enemy comes against these guys, overcomes them and kills them. And much like I believe when Satan killed Jesus, because I believe that everything that transpired for the death of Christ, I believe Satan was in it. I believe that he, we know he possessed Judas and all the different pieces and parts. I believe it was a satanic coercion to bring the life of Jesus to an end. And I believe that when, when Jesus died on the cross, I believe there was probably a, a satanic celebration. We don't know that, doesn't say that, but I'm sure that from Satan's perspective, it was like, we did it, we got him. And these guys, Satan overcame them and killed them. Now I want you to look at how bad things are on the earth. Look at how, look at what people do to their dead bodies. Verse eight, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So Jerusalem is being called by two names, Sodom and Egypt. Sodom is, it speaks of immorality. We know what happened in Sodom and what God did as he judged it. Egypt is also always a type of the world. Egypt is where God's people have been in bondage and enslaved. And that's the climate there in in Jerusalem. And so their bodies are going to lie dead in the street. Now, in Jewish culture, a person dies. They're buried almost immediately. They're not left in the street. So this is extreme disrespect to leave their bodies out in the streets would have been. It would have been a show of great disrespect to these guys. Verse nine says, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days. So their bodies are left there for three and a half days and the whole world sees it. Maybe it's on CNN. Maybe it's on the news. We know right now that something can happen somewhere in the world and the whole world can see it. We're set up for that already. It says everyone's going to see it for three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. So they're not going to be shown just decent respect when criminals get shot in the street. They cover them up when, you know, whoever it is, they get that much. They get covered up so that people aren't looking at them dead. These guys are just left in the street. The news is covering it. People are walking in the street. Look at what it says. It's worse. It gets worse than that. It says that they won't allow their bodies to be put in the graves in verse 10. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, making merry and send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets, the two prophets who tormented those who dwell on the earth. Um, So it's almost the world is going to treat it like a like a like a it's like a satanic Christmas. These guys are dead in the streets and it says that the people of the earth are giving gifts to one another and celebrating that these two guys that tormented us are dead. And so I want you to consider this, right? Because these two guys, what did they do that the earth would hate them so much?
0: been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Revelation, this book is entirely fascinating, if not a little bit confusing. But don't get distracted by all the strange things mentioned and lose sight of the fact that Jesus is showing himself in a mighty way through this book. The description of Jesus in this book sounds like some fierce, ultimate superhero. Someone you would want to follow, but might be a little afraid of, too. But Jesus is coming to redeem a broken world. Some of the ways God will go about doing this may not be fully understandable from our perspective. But that's okay. It's still worth studying and eagerly anticipating the fact that He's coming to make all things new. What a relief! If you'd like to hear this message again, or listen to more messages from our Revelation series, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you have some questions that you'd like answered or need someone to talk to, we're happy to speak with you and try to answer those questions. Just call 310-245-4811. Once more, that phone number is 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today in the book of Revelation. We look forward to our next edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill. Make sure you tune in for the upcoming message as you're sure to learn more from this intriguing book of the Bible, here on A Transforming Word.